I'm always thinking that you should encourage people, but quotas is horrible mm. because I think it's it, it's counterproductive. I mean, I, I benefited from quotas uh, along the, uh, along the way, but I just don't think that's the best the way to get the best out of people. I think encouragement, finding the funny, is always in comedy always the best thing to do. But the, the comedy's not been a meritocracy for a while. Like, it, it, especially on the circuit, I find it's it's very cliquey. I don't know how much of a how much you get. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't. So yeah. So it's it. Uh, the circuit. I don't know how much you have to do with the circuit for your acts, but I find that it's 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 so cliquey that it can't be a meritocracy anymore. Uh, I think it can and it can't. I think talent will out hmm. if everything else was equal. <laughs> Sometimes everything else isn't equal. Um, and you know, listen. If you're a twenty-five-year-old guy. You don't mind traveling up and down the country, getting the last train home with, you know, the drunks and the idiots. Whereas, you know, if, if you were a, a lady, you might not find that quite so enticing, having beery louts giving you a hard time at midnight on a train where you can't get off. So, you know. Yeah, I've... I find a lot of my female friends in comedy say some of the things that put them off going to gigs are the comedians hitting on them rather than the oh, really? yeah <laughs> and it's yeah it's, it's well if you if you wow. think about it it's, it's a, I mean statistically they're all single yeah <laughs> yeah um, especially at twenty five yeah completely <laughs> so yeah. I can imagine it being quite a not glad at all, you know like a quite intimidating place for a woman to to, to yeah. try and make a career and sometimes it's quite the atmosphere itself is just quite blokey and quite testosterone driven you know there's a crowd I kind of got to get up there stand in front of them make them shut up make them listen make them enjoy my comedy even if they're four pints into a Friday night you know so it can be quite aggressive I suppose hello and welcome to the ask the industry podcast episode 85 I'm comedian Simon Kane and for those of you new to the show this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up comedy radio and today management Nick Ransforth Hadley is the founder of NRH management an agency he founded to do the work that he was most proud of with the clients he loves I adored talking and hearing from someone in the industry side who is doing something that I think most comedians are doing, namely pursuing a path of doing good work that they're proud of that gets them up in the morning. He's really interesting as a case study for an agent, and not to sound too Liam Neeson about this, he has a particular set of skills which help elevate his clients to the next level, and we get into what he does and doesn't do in the podcast. I'll keep this brief as I want to get into the episode as quickly as possible, but speaking of people pursuing their dream career, slick as fuck, right? That was that was like proper race radio level slick as fuck i mean it would have been if i hadn't got sidetracked by pointing out how slick that link could have been uh i am at the edinburgh fringe festival right now if you're listening to this at the time of release which is august 2017 please come see my new show it's called laughter is the best placebo and i'm at sweets venue in the grass market at 5 p.m every day you can come and pay what you want or you can reserve a ticket online for five pound all the info for the show is in the show notes for this episode or on my website which is simoncane.co.uk if you can't make it please do tell a friend who can every little bit of support helps and i'd love to meet more of the listeners so please 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 do take an opportunity to come down and check it out i'm really proud of this show to be honest with you i mean i know everyone should be at the edinburgh fringe but 
uh, on a personal note, it's my best work and I, I can't really express how much effort and time has gone into it. It's taken me two years to write. I took off last year and yeah, I, please just come and support me. It would be really helpful and I would really appreciate meeting more of you as well. You can support it in other ways. For example, if you're new here, please do hit subscribe. If you're old here, please do leave us an honest review in iTunes. But for now, this is Nick Ransforth Hadley. Um, I thought where we'd start is um, I've sort of done my research into you and I wanted to start with uh, why you started an agency because you were, you were 25 years into uh, Noel Gay, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I wondered why you wanted to break away and, and what your agency uh, offers different to where you were. Uh, me. <laughs> In a word. It's very nice. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a short podcast. <laughs> no, because I, I, you know, I've been there for a long time it's coming up to 25 years, and I thought, you know what, I want to do my own thing in the way I want to do it. Uh, I want to be more focused by the work and not all the trappings that when you're part of a big company you have to do and you have to take care of. Uh, and I wanted to do it my way with the clients that I like and excite me, in a nutshell. And so I did it. Did- was it harder to do that then in the eight? With it, were you sort of hamstrung by their motive and agenda than your own? Yeah, partly because you are obviously part of a you know a, a thing that isn't all you. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I just wanted to get closer to the work, get closer to the stuff that that got me out of bed in the morning and made me laugh and made me smile and made me proud, which was the clients. Mm. And how how many of your? Because I know I know Milton, he moved over with you yeah. when you sort of went solo. How many of your other clients moved with you? Uh, 17 or 18, I think. Wow. Was that not conflict of interest with... Because the, obviously there's a... I can't remember what the, what the legal term is, but it's that... Um, uh, you, you know what I mean? Where, you, where, you, where you've got a, a, a competition clause in a contract that you can't like move people over. Was that, never, was that not awkward? Or? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of awkward. Okay. But, yeah. But they, but they were just fine. Like they just had to... Okay, fair enough. So, yeah. Yeah. So where... Was it not scary then? Was it because it sounds like it was kind of a big? I mean, yeah. how, how long have you been thinking about starting your own agency for before you actually managed to build up that courage? Because that sounds really <laughs> scary from where I'm sitting. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, well, it was challenging, should we say? Mm. Um, it's not something that that I had been, you know, hang, hangering after or, or considering for years and years and years. It's just that when I when I came around thinking, wow, I'm going to be here for 25 years very shortly. Uh, and I took stock and thought, do I want to be here another 25 years? Do I want to do something else? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, and as I said, I wanted to get clo- back closer to the work, back closer to my clients and the things that I liked doing with them. Uh, and, and so I made the move. I, I went for it. And, where, and, and your agency, where do you see that sitting within the context of the other agencies in, in the industry? Well, I see it very much as a boutique agency. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to end up in five years' time running an agency with ten other agents. That's not what I've done. What I've done for uh, probably I'm going to have to grow because I, touch wood, it's all going very well, and the work's coming in, and it's expanding, and my time is disappearing uh, very quickly, which is fantastic. So. The business model is a boutique agency uh, where I can represent hands-on the people who 
whose talent surprises and excites me. God, that sounds like a marketing thing. But, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. But this is the thing. I find it sounds really weird, but the more sincere people get, the more it sounds, it, it, to you will sound like marketing, but to other people will sound very much like something they want to do. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Because I think it resonates a lot. The, the one thing I've learned from this podcast is the industry side of things, most of the people in it anyway, are very much doing the same thing we're doing, but behind the scenes. They're, they're scratching their own itch, they're trying to pursue something they really love, and, and they're just doing it in a way that's, should we say, slightly more um, of a career path yeah. <laughs> for, than a performer one. So don't worry about that. <laughs> um, what does and doesn't your agency do? I generally don't do proper actors. If you have a hankering to do Chekhov or Shakespeare, I'm absolutely the wrong person, completely. Um, not Just not not what I do, not what interests me, not what excites me. So that's what I don't do, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, pretty much everything else, to be, <laughs> to be honest with you, just because of the clients I've had over the years have all been good at lots of things. So I have done lots of things, books, music, digital, as well as obviously television, film, and theatre. So, uh, you know, uh, right across the board, which is great. It's exciting. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd hate just to tie up, get a casting, go, right, let's put A, B, and C up for that. And then when the job comes in, let's get another £10. You know, that would just bore me rigid. <laughs> Yeah, it sound, sounds boring from the way you say it. <laughs> um, well, that, that's an interesting point you bring up there where, um, like we were saying before we started, most comedians I don't think can make a living just gigging, and so they have to do other things. And how much of that is a factor when you're looking into signing someone, when you, you sort of have to project ahead? I, I, to be honest with you, when, I, when somebody comes in, if they excite me and the work excites me, I mean, that's the first thing is if it's exciting uh, and new and different because there's no point just going oh there's a very competent person but what they're saying is what everybody else is saying just in a slightly but not hugely different way that doesn't interest me at all uh, uh, in fact a, way, a good way of explaining it is I obviously I get into quite a lot of comedy and I sit there with my wife and she'll go you haven't really smiled and I go I know but it's been great she said, but why haven't you smiled? You've not laughed. You're not doing because I well, because I know where all the jokes go. Very well done, and I've had a very nice evening. But I know where all the jokes are going. Um, when I sit there, and I'm surprised about the direction that it's gone, and I've been wrong-footed and and burst out laughing loud. I'm like, yeah, hey, this person excites and interests me, and uh, then I'll take them on. It doesn't really matter to me at that point where they are. In, in the career ladder. Obviously, I'd love them to be earning a good living so I can just, you know, tap into that and it's, you know, it's good for the business. But the fact that they are funny and different and surprising is enough. I'll find a way to make that work however it is. You know, I take people on who've been, been great in one medium and then great in another medium at the same time. I mean, you know, uh, Harold Reid's a great stand-up fantastic animator and extremely good at writing kids animation scripts so you're you're not looking for the next insert comedian name here no i'm looking for what excites me okay next yeah hopefully those two things are the same yeah (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) 
otherwise I won't be doing this for much longer. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, so when you're scouting for new talent, where do you go for that? Um, sometimes people ring me up. A lot of the time it's recommendations from other clients. You know, I go to Edinburgh every year. This will be my seventh, eighth or something in a row, 28th in a row, I can't remember. Uh, so I go and see lots of shows. Um, and yeah, I've taken on a couple of people from Edinburgh. I've been just walked into the show and gone, wow, that's great. Fantastic, I'm gonna take this, this person on. Yeah, because perceivably from a comedian's point of view, awards, credits, TV quote, all that kind of stuff is really important. Is it is that useful to you when you when you or do you just not do any research? You just go, they've said this. I trust my client. They they think they're good. What what kind of would sway you more or less? Uh, it's a tricky thing to to answer. Um, you know, if somebody said, oh, yeah, they've done a lot of television, and you think automatically, oh, well, there's a bit of career path. That's quite good. That's a big positive. But you know, if if one of my clients said to me who you know i trust all my clients which is a fabulous position i'm in at the moment and they say you should see this person they're fantastic i will go and see that person mm. for sure okay that's interesting i've got i've got a <laughs> i've got a listener submitted question which is quite specific but uh and, and i've got a follow-up question off the top of that but it's how important is an act's age when it comes to signing them not really at all okay i do, i i I mean, if you were 90, probably wouldn't work, but barring that, I don't care. My, my follow-up point to that would be, I see a lot of agents picking up younger comedians because you know they can be put in certain different other places, that, like presenting roles or anything like that. And I find that my friends who have been doing this like 20, 25, 30 years are way better than the ones that have been doing it five years. So... For my, I mean, I don't know what they meant by that because this was just a sort of emailed in question, and I hadn't had a chance to follow it up. But from my perception, I would, I want to sort of expand on and see if you, if you would take into account the fact that someone's been doing it longer, so it would logically be more veteran and better, or is that again? No, no, no I, going back to my point, it, it, it's all about the work, which okay. I'll probably say a lot and will <laughs> be very boring. But if for somebody who's say forty and been doing it for a long time. Uh, probably are great because they've done a lot of stage time, they put the hours in. The industry is kind of skewed, a bit skewed against them because most of the people in comedy in the industry will go, yeah, we kind of know them, we know what they do. Whereas if if I rang up, ring them up and go, hey, I've got this bright young thing, nobody's really seen them, but they're really sharp, they're gonna go somewhere, then they might go, oh, that's quite exciting. So go against themselves, but they'll go, oh, well, you know, Nick's not an idiot, he thinks they're good, so we should see them. I don't know who they are, they're bright young things, so they get in the door you know, easier. And as you say, they might not, might not have as much talent, probably won't have as much not talent, but experience and stagecraft, because they haven't put the hours in. Because mm. you know, at the end of the day, you've got to put the hours in. Do you work for the, let's say, Comedian A, do you work for Comedian A, or do they work for you, or do you work together? No, I, well, we work together, it is never a one-way street. Uh, you know, those days of, of sitting home waiting for the phone to ring and some cigar chomping agent going, well, you're going off on tour, I booked your ball. You know, no. I, I like to have uh, a proper relationship with my clients where we discuss lots of things and we discuss directions to go and how we do it and, and I become uh, very involved. 
um, I work for the client, they don't work for me. That's, that's the, the essence of a client-agent relationship. You, uh, traditionally, as, as I understand it, agents take a fee for the amount of work they do from whatever the, uh, the client earns. Does that go up the more experience you have? No. That doesn't change? No, one set rate for everyone. And what would be a traditional rate for an agent? 15%. 15%. So if anyone listening to this was on, on a, or getting a, a contract for more than that, would your recommendation be to negotiate? Yeah. Okay. Just want no, because it's. I, f- I feel like it's something that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of, uh, you know, if someone says, "Oh, I'm getting," uh, an agent's asked me for twenty percent of everything I earn or whatever, and it's it's or ten percent of whatever I earn, and and I think if you've never had an agent before or if you've never worked with one before, it's not something that you could maybe bring up too often with your sure. friend or with with another. Well, I mean, I, so I, could, I should expand on that a bit. I mean, some um, theatrical agents who deal with with actors have, you know, ten percent for theatre, twelve and a half per for commercials. You know, fifteen for television, because you know, if you're on equity minimum in a regional theatre, you're getting tuppence halfpenny, and that would be a good thing to do to give them a bit of a break on the money. Um, I mean, may, maybe some put the commercials money up more. I don't know, uh, just because commercials turn up, get do one day, get paid well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If a client said they didn't want to do something, like they didn't want to do an advert or something like that, do you? What, how would you guide them and say, I think this would be great for your career, or is it a case of they get autonomy over there? We'd have the discussion, uh, and it's about uh, the discussion would be about, well, first of all, don't kid yourself. I mean, you know, there's no point going, oh, this ad's got a great script. Yeah, you're selling carpets. It's not going to get good a script, love. But that's fine if you want the money. You're going, oh, I'll do this, and I get to move house. Marvellous, or whatever it is. So as long as you know what the criteria is, then I, I would have the discussion with them. And if I thought strongly that they should do it or strongly that they shouldn't do it, I would tell them. Uh, ultimately, it's then up to them. It's their money. It's their job. Mm. If, if we were to, and you can pick any comedian if you want to name them, or you can, or we can just go with someone you've got in your head and it doesn't have to be sort of as said, if you like. Um, if we were to take from when you saw a comedian for the first, not when you moved over, when you took from the yeah. other agency, but when you started and you found your first comedian that you wanted to take on, to when you signed them, could you talk through that process of how it worked for the comedian, but also worked for you? It was quite a, quite a quick process. Okay. You know, because um, obviously the, the comedian is looking to change agents, for example. Uh, and then to they would ask their friends or or people they work with who would be a good agent. Then they go and you have, you have your beauty contest with the various agents. Um, I tell them who I am, what I do and how I do it. And then they would make up their mind and then make the move. Mm. So yeah, not really a long, a long process. I mean, you know, I, I suppose it could be longer if, if I, if I saw somebody who I thought was interesting but not interesting enough for me to sign then I can see I haven't done this but well not recently so I mean conceivably I could say uh, I'll be here in the background if things change uh, or if you need advice uh, but I can't take you on at this point and that would be a genuine thing I mean if they went off to another agent fine that would be also fine but I would also be there to give them advice if I thought 
I could be of help and it wasn't going to be massively time consuming. How, yeah, how often does that come up where, you, where, you, where you'd love to represent someone but you just can't do it? Um, well, so at my new agency, the great thing is um, I get to represent talented, nice people who I like and who like me. Um, which, but that's, there is a finite size to that. So um, there are people and there will be people who are kind of borderline who I just think, you know what, I can't dedicate the time to you just now because it'll have to come off somebody else. Uh, which is not, it's not an exact thing because you, 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 know, you, you are subject to Sod's law. You'll have a day, a day. In fact, I've just had this conversation with one of my clients yesterday who has got tons of work on and is going to be buried under deadlines that are all going to happen next week. And this week, ironically, he's got a day where he's got nothing to do. Uh, but he can't get on with the other stuff for various reasons because uh, we've got notes back on the drafts and all the rest of it. Uh, and so, yeah, so he's sitting at home going, yeah, I've got all this stuff to do, no time to do it. But today, nothing. And, you know, I am of exactly the same subject to that. There will be days when I think, wow, you know, I'm not that busy. And then the following day, there will be just too much and I'll be there at eight o'clock at night trying to plow through the stuff I haven't got through during the day. Mm. And when when you're signing someone and you're saying what you do and how you do it would it be like i like your show i think i could put this on tour i could send it around art centers i could you know however that would work or or i've seen your animations online i think i could get you a book deal or is it a case of you would say um i really love what you do where do you want to take this or would it be a combination combination of the both okay yeah absolutely no no it just is a combination of both and it depends on the work and the best way to uh get it seen by the most people uh, or, and if there's a specific way that, that maybe the client wants to do that or, uh, or a sort of emphasis on the tone um, yeah it just it just depends on, on the work and what it is um, and there's not one it's not the same route for everybody mm-hmm. you know you, you can't just go oh you're a funny comedian right here you go set on the track and off you go that, that doesn't tend to work how um, affected are you by quotas or changes in like TV legislation by for your acts like if someone so for example when they brought in the, the one woman in every panel show and stuff how much does stuff like that in, maybe not that specifically but how much does stuff like that impact your day to day life uh, not hugely but enough that I, obviously I do pay attention and you know if you represent funny women and then somebody comes in saying every panel show has got to have a funny woman you go great I've got some mm. I'm ringing up all the panel shows yeah you know? Yeah, as simple as that. I mean, years ago, uh, years and years ago, I had a, a client, physical comedian, who was great, and he he done some stuff for um, CBBC, well, the, before it was CBBC, and I pitched them a, sh- a program idea, and they went, "Yeah, we really love it, but we we're making our uh, quota of television programs, but BBC Scotland don't have any." So the, so the commissioner from BBC Scotland came all the way down to London and we sat in an office in London and went, great, let's do this. And he went <laughs> back to Scotland and then we made it in Edinburgh, <laughs> purely because it was a quota mm. and, you know, and I was exploiting it. Yeah. it. And it kind of worked out for everybody, but you can't pretend that, I mean, it had a Scottish production team. That was it. The rest of it was just London-based 
because the client was London based and yeah. So yeah. It was just the same. Like I, find, I always find it interesting because I mean the club circuit in particular has changed quite a lot in the last couple of years, and there's a lot of talk of whether that's in crisis as everyone refers to it. And I, I like to think it's not in crisis anymore. I think comedians are in crisis because there's too many of us and there's not yeah. enough clubs. But I've also been keeping quite a tight eye on TV and how that's developing. And uh, as we were saying with Ian Coyle, he was saying the more channels there are, there's actually less opportunity because a lot of old stuff's getting like re-syndicated or, or pushed around. I mean, are you finding this, a similar pattern in your clients or are, are they established enough that, that it's not actually making a massive difference to you? It's not making a massive difference at all. I, I, I mean, you have to be, uh, is fleet of foot the right word? You can't be a dinosaur. The next technology that comes along, uh, I don't care what the technology is, it doesn't matter because I deal in content, but I just need to be able to make the content and get it seen. So, you know, if it's YouTube Red or you know, Netflix or Showtime or whatever, other outlet it is then you have to look at what they want and then and then go there I mean you know who who knows there'll be maybe there'll be stuff made specifically to watch on your phone in 10 years five years five weeks but you know you just have to pay attention uh, and go doesn't matter what goes on in a number of channels or how we view it content is king we will always need content and good content. I mean, what a, what a lot of the channels are, are looking to do, particularly the sub, subscription channels, is drag an audience. So uh, whether it's Dave or Sky or, or any of those guys, when, when they sign up to a show, what they're hoping is it's gonna be such a big hit that it'll get beyond their subscribers into the national consciousness and people will be going, oh yeah, I better subscribe to Dave or Sky or whatever so I can see that show that is really, really funny. That's, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been banging on about content and building audiences around content for a couple of years now. And I think, for, and again, this might be just my perception on it, but I think if you can build an audience around something you've done, generally speaking, a, a bigger shark will come along and eat it up. How, how do you mean eat it up? So if you, so if, say, for example, uh, let's say client A of yours made an online show that just kept getting 200,000 views an episode or, or something, something yeah. ludicrous like that for online. Well, it would be more likely that a TV channel would come along and go, we want to put that online or we want to put that in our uh, roster of things yeah. because it's been proven to already have a, an audience base. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And I will be knocking on the door of all the likely people going, hey, you should put this on, uh, you should put this on a channel because there's a larger potential audience and more money for the clients and more exposure and better production values and all, all the rest of it. Mm. I, I, an interesting thing, I don't know if you've, been, if you've seen this, but is uh, the boycott of adverts on YouTube at the moment, where, because uh, they're worried about what the adverts can get shown before, because there's loads of like beheadings and shootings and things yeah. like that on YouTube. And um, obviously, uh, unfortunately, uh, in commercial stations and uh, on commercial TV, you've got to kind of follow the money and so yeah. you've got to follow the adverts. And I don't know how you're sort of thinking about how that's going to affect your future, whether, whether if YouTube make, for example, YouTube TV work, if that's going to be sort of the way you'd want to go, even though there's less kind of prestige on having like an online TV show rather than a traditional well, one. Well, it, I think it'll evolve in a slightly different way. Uh, and I'd love, and I'd, one of the things that I'm very interested in. So if you want to make a, make a sitcom for BBC One, primetime sitcom, it's going to cost you about 400 grand a half hour. Um, 
commissioners are you know, shriveling. I was like letting the cigarettes out of the bag. It's going to cost about 400 grand a half hour. If you've got 400,000 subscribers paying two pounds each to watch your content, you can do that with all your big stars and stick it online. Um, and I think that will happen. Not, not sure when, and, um, and it won't be those figures, but it will happen. And the tr because one of the really frustrating things for me as an agent is still there are half a dozen gatekeepers to UK TV. And if they don't think what I've got is funny, it's not on. And that really buggers me because it is funny. They just, you know, for whatever reason, oh, I've got one like this. Oh, not quite our demographic or oh, not funny enough. And then it doesn't get on. And that just is crazy because there's lots of good work sat in a drawer. Mm. Yeah, I, I've spoken to a few commissioners and I, and I always kind of ask them whether it's whether it should be more audience led because obviously they sorry because obviously they have their own taste and if you have too many people with similar taste commissioning everything you're yeah. not going to get through something that might be you know like you might not have got through La Mighty Bush if there was too many people that like Mrs Brown's boys at, at yeah. one time and uh, I think I think uh, an interesting person for this is someone like Richard Herrick who does a lot of crowdfunding for his own content and obviously now has an audience base that he kind of ha he's just not looking into TV because he doesn't need it yeah um, and are, are, are you, any of your clients kind of following that suit or any of them sort of, uh, are you encouraging them to try? Yeah, oh, completely, own? yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Non-linear non uh, ways of getting stuff shown to an audience, it's something I absolutely do encourage. Because uh, you, you've got to get the work out there, however you do it. Um, and yeah, just relying on these people to have the same taste. I mean, I'm not knocking them, they have a job to do and uh, they have so many submissions. It, yeah, it, you know, I should imagine Ian Coyle says no a thousand times to saying yes, mm. just because of the, the amount of volume he's got to do. But he's got, you know, his channel has a certain look. It likes, it likes talent-led programming. He likes to put a big name. So you know, if I had a, if I had a great comedy that was a gang show with twelve cast members, all of equal size roles. It wouldn't be for him because mm. that's you couldn't put a big fat name in the in the middle of it, which is you know as we're going back to what we said earlier, because if you go Dara O'Brien's go it, it uh, you've got Dara O'Brien on the front of it, mm. so people who are Dara fans are all going to watch. Mm. And you, the Edinburgh Fringe we talked about briefly there, you you go up every year. We've gone yeah. up every year for a while now. What? Does that actually mean for your clients now? Because a lot of people say it's not now the place to get discovered, and you've said you've obviously discovered some people yeah. there. But in terms of your clients, what would be a reason for them going to it? What would you be pushing them for? It depends. Well, it depends on uh, on the client uh, and what they're doing, uh, and on the show. Um, uh, just going to Edinburgh because everybody else is going to Edinburgh is a very expensive way of losing a lot of money you know you have to have a goal in mind of what you want to do it might be that you're known for one kind of comedy and you've decided to do a different kind of comedy uh that's a good reason maybe you have what you think is a great show that could easily transfer to tv that is also a good idea or you might think you know what the culmination of the work i've done in the past 10 years is now an irresistibly good show and i'm going for it that's also a really good reason going because all your 
comedy mates are going and you just feel a bit insecure about not going is a bad idea understandable and I see it happening all the time and people just get oh everybody else is going and I think I should go and I'm going to go well you're going to lose money and other than scouting for talent is there a reason you go Uh, yeah well I always have clients Mm. uh, doing stuff in Edinburgh uh, and I also just want to plug into because it is quite yeah it's just obviously war to war comedy so you can just plug into what's going on and bump into stuff that I won't bump into down here Mm. and if someone wanted to get you to come and see their show would it be better to invite them to a finished thing a work in progress thing a preview what, what do you like to see finished show finished show yeah absolutely uh, yeah because you don't you can't judge um, you know well I have a lot of clients who are writers and, and you know there's no there's no point giving me a, a script to go yeah it's not really good enough to go out but it will, will be great well, I might know that, but I can't send it to anybody and tell them that because they won't. They don't know, and they can't believe me. You know, you have to put your best foot forward. Mm. It's it's like um, sending a prototype to Dragons Den. You might as well go with the finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Something that is quite prominent on your website and, and in the research I've done of you is your work in digital rights and film. Yeah. What to someone who doesn't know what would you say you do in that area? Well they're two different things okay so the film the films are the films mm. and I've got clients who write films and at the moment I one two I've got four commissioned films on the go all being paid for uh, various stages which I'm very proud of mm. um, it's a hard word hard world film because the financing is so difficult and to make money for everybody to make money out of films is so so difficult but I love film and and I kind of I mean I started getting involved in films 20 years ago maybe more because I'm I am passionate about films and it's a big hobby and so I sort of saw it as my kind of pro bono hobby bit on the side it's not really going to turn into anything terribly commercial and it is um, it is now and I'm I'm very fortunate and uh, yeah I enjoy doing it mm. even though the financing is a complete nightmare on a scale of trying to get stuff pushed through or, or commissioned would it be it would, uh, as, would it be like radio TV film in terms of how long it takes because of the budget or is it is it yeah is yeah it, probably yeah is it, would it not also depend on this? I mean, if the script was not good enough, would it not go through quicker, or is that just my idealised? No, it's yeah. I mean, sometimes you can hit a sweet a sweet spot if if your if your film has a very relevant subject, but usually it's years. The process just takes so long takes so long to get the script right. And once you've got the script right, you then got to try and put the money together. That takes a long time. And then you have to put the cast together, and that changes, and then timescales change. And yeah, it's just mm. if you if you went to anybody with a business proposition, if you went, you mentioned Dragon's Den, if you went in there and went, yeah, I want to be in the film business, they'd just go, no, this is <laughs> this is this is a stupid idea. Mm. Why would you do that? It's, it's good to hear. Um, <laughs> um, I was going to say. Um, 
to flip around something you said a minute ago, where you said it's quite frustrating for you that uh, there's sort of the, the, the sort of a, a twelve gatekeepers for TV. Yeah, I think I think for unsigned comedians, something that's quite frustrating is there's maybe twenty or thirty agents sort of worth getting signed to that you have to kind of prove that you're funny to, and. Uh, what would you give as a bit of advice for a comedian who maybe maybe is doing really well, like you know, is getting consistent club work, is doing just just everything's going really well, but for some reason they're just not getting anywhere with agents. Uh, that's a tricky one. My my advice would be obviously uh, big fan of ten thousand hours. Keep working, just keep gigging as much as you possibly can. Keep writing every day. Um, even if you don't use it, even if it doesn't make it into your set, keep writing, keep using those writing muscles uh, and, and find your own voice. You definitely have to find your own voice and then hopefully it will happen because I mean you can bang on all the doors and then once you've banged on all the doors of all the agents uh, and if then nothing happens then you can bang on them in a year's time but you can't bang on them every week because people will just get hacked off. But if you keep perfecting your art and you keep doing it and you keep getting up there you will get better and better do you think comedians need agents as much as they used to uh yeah i think so i think uh, well i say yes if you if you want to just get on the circuit and go around the circuit um then you don't need an agent i mean my my comedy clients uh and the, the people who do the circuit you know i set a, I set a level where i just go you just do it yourself you know, if they're going to ring you up and offer you 250 quid to do a night down the road, do it. You don't need to involve me because you know the people from the circuit anyway. Uh, and you would just be giving me money for ringing you, passing on the email probably. So don't, don't involve me. It's not worth it. Well, I mean, I assume you'd have to be involved some way because if you were scheduling, say, a TV uh, a series. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, on the date-wise. But, yeah, so, you know... as I don't want to take people from, so I, I obviously I commission all the work all my clients do, but I set a limit whereby I can negotiate and get the money up or it's a, or it's a bigger gig. But if, you, if clients just want to try out new material or just do the odd club gigs or that, you know, I'll, if they want me to, I'll, I'll do it. But I'm offering that I don't need to do it because there's nothing, you're just paying me commission for answering the phone, mm. you know, which is... Fine, I'll, I'll take your money if you're desperate to give it to me, but don't do it yourself because they're just going to ring you up and go, This is the money. Do you want to do it Friday night, 10 minutes down the road? So, if someone wanted to book one of your clients, it's better to yeah. go direct to the client rather than through you? No, through, oh, okay. through me. No, but I mean for a club gig. Oh, for a club gig. Yeah. Most of the time, because of, because of the clients I've got, have all been on the circuit for a while. Mm. So, most of, that's what happens most of the time anyway. Mm. Okay. Um, Talking about digital rights, yeah, um, and and how that's kind of developing. When it when it comes to because I mean a lot of comedians, for example, are putting up uh, their their own sort of specials at hours and selling them direct, and obviously doing it DRM free or, or with very little restrictions. What are your thoughts on things like that? Uh, I think it's a, I think it's going to be a bit like the wild west until it sorts itself out. But I think it's terribly exciting um, because the technology is, is moving forward at such a such a pace uh, that it is changing the landscape. I mean, I've got uh, I, I've got a, a little pitch that I was talk, discussing with uh, some of my clients, and they just went off and filmed it rather than 
then you know uh, write it up. They just filmed it on a couple of iPhones, and the quality is absolutely amazing. It it looks like a film crew's gone off and shot it, and that is fantastic because I know I can then give this to, uh, as I have done to interested parties. Going, what do you think? Uh, just watch it. And they are, first of all, they're a lot likely to watch it than they are to read stuff because everybody's lazy and, oh, you know, it's eight minutes long. I can just turn it on and watch it. If it's, if it's engaging, uh, then I will pay attention. And now we've got somebody interested in it, which is fantastic. Um, but if that hadn't happened and that wasn't going through a traditional route and they had the time and the inclination, they can make a whole series of those. Uh, and in fact, they have done on... on uh, this bunch of clients on a different on a different subject which they got a little bit of funding for and they made a, uh, a series for the internet doing just that see that's that's I love stuff like that because I feel yeah. like more people should just do something if they can yeah. obviously obviously like you said but I mean if you, everyone's got a phone everyone's got a camera yeah. it doesn't make any sense why you, you know I, th I think what puts a lot of people off is is the production value they, they perceive they need it to nobody be laughs at the set <laughs> yeah <laughs> Terrible cliche. No one laughs at the set. Yeah, you know, uh, and you will get better at doing what you're doing uh, in the environment. You don't need to be in a TV studio. You know, if, you, if there's a if there's a bunch of you, you've got an idea to do something that's funny. Get off and get off your backside and do it, whether cameras or not, or with camera phones or whatever it is, um, and have some. You know, get as many of your talented friends, get somebody to direct it. You know, somebody to light it. Not, you don't have to hire a load of stuff. Mm. And if, if it's well written, uh, it'll be funny and people will watch it. What would you say to a person who has been consistently putting stuff online but is struggling to, to either get any traction industry-wise or view-wise? Um, well, if nobody's watching it, <laughs> kind of the answer's there. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're putting it out there and it should be gaining traction, it's not gaining traction, mm. then there's going to be a reason mm. for that. And the reason will be in the content. Um, if you're having difficulty initially getting out there to enough people to uh, start the snowball rolling, um, then just talk to other people. There are four, there's plenty of forums. Mm. Uh, there's tons of stuff on Twitter you can connect with people if someone sent you a, a pilot for something or, or an idea for something because um, they wanted you to help them take it further if you didn't like it would you give them feedback it depends uh, it very much depends I like to but I do sometimes get so busy you know somebody sends me a half hour script and you know I put the time in and read the script or most of the script then you know I don't have if I don't know these people these people and they're just writing in uh, and saying here's a sample of my writing I, you know, I, I might not have an hour to put aside to properly critique their script um, and, I, and I would want to do it properly I wouldn't want to just go oh no it works for me because of because that's not really helpful at all mm. yeah no I know what you mean I, 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 I did that the other day where I messaged someone back and just said can I get back to you another time because I won't have time to reply and yeah. I felt really I, fe I felt really bad about that that you're sort of like well, I could say, you know, one line, and it's it's not going to be useful to you. Yeah, exactly. Or you, and then they might read something completely wrong into the line you do that 
line up and go go the wrong way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Talking of which, years ago, the best because I, I obviously scripts get turned down and projects get turned down all all the while, and you you do have the the classic. Well, we're looking at something a bit similar to this, which is further down the line, mm. kind of a uh, one that I've heard and I've, I've heard various. Oh, we're not doing period, and you're thinking you are doing period. I've just seen a period piece come out, and mm. all kinds of things. the best turned down I ever had. Um, it was from Yorkshire TV uh, for a television film, comedy film, and they went. The uh, head of comedy wrote back saying, "I really like this. It made me laugh." And then I passed it around the office. Everybody else laughed, but we didn't just laugh enough for the size of the budget. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> but fair enough. Mm. I mean that you know that is. That's worth more than saying, oh, we're not making this show because it's about people in show business and nobody watches that. Mm. And then you bang your head on the table and go, do you want me to start off with the Larry Sanders and the entourages and all the other bloody successful shows that are about people in show business? Mm. You know. How long would you try and push, so say, you, say Comedian X had a script and you loved it, you just thought this has got to be yeah. made. And it, how, how long would you push it for before you just think it's just no like I'm just going to keep getting turned down. Well, there's, there's an initial period where you try all the all the um, the likely people, uh, but if I really like it, it's, it'll never go away. It'll always be down the back of the sofa for when somebody goes, oh, I'm looking for something. Oh, well, here we are. Mm. Here's something that I've uh, been working on for a while. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes you, you you know people four years later rediscover something and it then for whatever reason make gets a bit of traction gets a rewrite and and then goes on. You know I, I find self awareness will take you so far in this, but then also being commercially aware is sort of an additional thing that I think a lot of comedians don't think about because you first have to be self aware enough to know why it's funny and, and think it's funny, but then you need to be more aware of. Um, well, like you said, the state of play of the industry at large, because it could be, for example, like you said, BBC Scotland might have room for it, whereas down here they don't. Yeah, but also as I was going back to what I said before is, yeah, well, once you've done that and you've given it to your agent and they're punting it around, do something else, write something else. Always keep, you can't, because a lot of people write a script and, and put so much time and effort into it. I mean, if you want to write a film script and then you're going to do a couple of drafts, I mean, it's a massive amount of work. And you pass around all your friends, and they go, "Oh, you need to change this, or maybe that character's a bit wrong." And blah blah blah. Huge, huge commitment. May may take you a year and a half to do or something, and then you give it to your agent, and then if you're lucky, it's going to take a couple of years before it gets on, um, and it's going to, and it'll certainly take four or five months before you see any kind of attraction, even if it's going to go forward. But what I do see is people having put that a massive amount of time and effort into writing the script are emotionally so invested in it, it stops them doing something else. Once you've handed it in, once you've written the end, start thinking about the next thing. You because the, the chances of that getting on are slim. doesn't matter how good it is. It might be brilliant. It's still slim for a whole pile of reasons. So you have to then... As I say, when that full stop, the end of full stop, give yourself a break, start thinking about the next thing. And, and like you said, uh, sort of a name will only take you so far as well. 
because obviously there are some channels that matter too and some channels that don't. Um, how would you, so say for example, you, you saw someone who was unknown, but still doing very well, maybe 10 years in or whatever, um, how would you take them if they wanted to from where they are to household name if you if you were going to do that as a process? <laughs> right, I'm just going to take a big draw on my big fat cigar. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there's not, there's not, it depends entirely on the client, what they do and how they do it. There's no golden bullet. Anybody who tells you they could do that is bullshit. Um, uh, you have to think of it like, you have to think of it, the career as a pyramid. Um, and you're at the bottom, along with a lot of other people on the broad base, and then you've got to look at something that's going to get you up to the next level, which is slightly less people and a slightly uh, less broad base, and then above, above that and above that. It's never a straight line from the bottom to the top. You will have to zigzag, but so long as that is moving you forward, that's okay too, um, until you get to where you want to be. And it may be you haven't even identified where you want to be. You just want to do comedy, whether that comedy is stand-up, whether that comedy is narrative, or whether it's a mixture of both, or whether ultimately you want to end up in films, who knows? Um, you might not know, because that's 20 years away. Mm. But you just have to keep moving forward, keep moving up, look at every job and go, does that move me forward? Is that a good thing for me to do? Can I do it well? Because you never want to do something that you can't do well because that just makes you look bad. That's a backwards move, uh, unless it's an ad for money. <laughs> so, but, sure, yeah. but, sure, but surely you have to do the thing badly to get better at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no point going, oh, somebody's offered me a part, a major part in a sitcom, and you, can't, you don't have the, the ability to deliver, because you will then just be crap on television in front of a whole audience, and nobody will give you another job. Does that ha would, would you offer someone, or would a, would a TV channel or a production company offer someone who would no, like it's? I, I don't know how often someone with very little track record or with or with no track record would get offered something like that, like a lead especially. Is it, you know what I mean? And it, it would just seem to me that would seem like a really fool. It would make them look bad, not not the comedian, surely. Or would they get? Or would you think they'd get the blame? Oh, uh, I don't know who they blame. <laughs> It's probably true that it's not going to, you know, it's not a real scenario, uh, but a watered down version of it. Um, yeah, and it, as I say, it's all, it is always about the work, you know, unless you feel passionate about it and think you can do it well, then that's the wrong reasons for doing it. And you should always do something for the right reasons. Yeah, the, the why in life is the most, for me, the most interesting question why anyone does anything. Um, yeah. Okay, um, I've got the last quick fire questions for you. Sure. Um, so they're quick for me, take as long as you need to. Um, what are the best books on stand-up comedy or, write, or writing that you've ever read? I've read a ton of books on, on script writing, and some of them have been 500 pages long. Um, William Goldman's books are just funny, so they're worth reading. But you know, if you want to write a script, there's like five rules. Something must happen on every page. Uh, don't write, don't write dialogue or stuff for no reason. Oh, let's have a cup of tea. Shall I make it? Pointless. I don't really read books on stand-up at all. Stand-up's a live thing. Go see it live. Um, this question is normally for a comedian, but I, I'm going to ask it to you. And if it's not quite applicable, we'll see. Because um, I think because most comedians will, you know, if I ask them, or most people, if I say, 
how would you describe yourself? They might go, I'm a comedian, or I'm a writer, or I'm whatever. Um, but their, their uh, income wouldn't reflect that. So, for example, they might make more money from writing than being a comedian, but they'd like to call themselves a comedian. How would you describe yourself versus how would your income describe yourself? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that is relevant to me. How I would describe myself as uh, an agent, or talent manager, um, managing people across all areas apart from proper serious theatre, as we said before, um, with a huge bias towards comedy. What is the biggest misconception people have about what you do? Uh, I don't know, because I do it. So I'm the other side of the looking glass. Yeah, I'm not sure, really. Uh, yeah, you'd have to ask somebody else that question as to what they think of agents. Fair enough. What do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? The, oh gosh, there's lots of... <laughs> there's lots of problems in the comedy industry. I don't... I, I'm not sure I can identify one single thing that I... I mean, there's lots of things that I would like to fix. Uh, um, there's, I think the root of... The root of the comedy industry is live performance. Because that's where it all starts. It starts with somebody thinking, Do you know what, I can tell jokes. And standing up and having to go in front of 15 people. And they'll either be good enough that they'll think, I'll come back next week. Or they'll realise that actually that's not the route for them. So, And the more of that, the better. In a nice environment that's not too aggressive. Uh, that's what I'd like to see a lot more of. What's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Don't bear a grudge. Okay. And if you could go back to give yourself one bit of advice um, when you were deciding on starting your agency, what would it have been? Actually, I, my bit of advice was you should have done it 10 years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> go with your gut then. Okay. okay. All right, well, thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure, thank you. That was Nick. I love talking to anyone in the industry who is pursuing their own path and doing something that they are proud of. I think it's really easy to see the industry as just money men or people who have less than noble, shall we say, uh, reasons for being around performers but Nick is not one of those I really enjoyed talking to him and I hope you got some value out of it as well if you did please do consider sending Nick a tweet or emailing him to thank him for giving up his time it's a lovely thing to do it's a useful thing to do and honestly I, I don't see a downside if you've enjoyed the interview and you, if you enjoy the time that you me and Nick have spent together please do send him a message he was kind enough to give up his time it shouldn't take you very long either to send him something nice just to say I appreciate you answering some questions and maybe debunking some myths about what agents do and what he does so please do think about doing that all the information to get hold of him is in the show notes or on my website or on his website very quickly before we end here is a list of ways that you can support me and all the podcasts. I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival right now in August 2017 and then I'm on tour in September and October 2017. All the details for this is on my website but very quickly about the Edinburgh Fringe specifically because I am there right now. I am at Sweets Venue in Grassmarket every day except Wednesdays when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. I am on at 5pm. If you can come down and see it please do you can pay what you want on exit or you can reserve a ticket for five pounds look at it as your podcast donation if you like or give me a separate donation whatever way you want to support me slash this show 
Uh, it would be awesome to meet more listeners and come down and say hi. As I said, it's my best work. It should be at the end of a friend, shouldn't it, really? And it should always be that technically. But I'm really proud of it. I, I honestly think that it. I really love doing the show and, and it's something that I want more people to see. So if you can come down and watch it and you can spare at the hour and, and time, then please do. It would really mean a lot to me and it would really help me out in my career so thank you very much if you do that and if you can't please just tell a friend who can that'd be amazing if you're new here please do subscribe if you're old here please do leave us an honest review in itunes but if you want to financially help the podcast you can do so as a one-off donation via paypal or you can become a patron from atp or a dollar it's it's an american website so you have to do it in dollars but a dollar is about ATP. So if you think these episodes, I do two a month. So if you think £1.60 is not a lot to just send me every month to keep this project going and to maintain the thing you get value out of, please do it. Because don't just assume other people are going to do it. I don't get many donations at the moment. It's kind of dried up a little bit recently. And to be honest with you, I could really use the money. Um, I'm obviously going and spending a stupid amount of money in Edinburgh and then on tour. And I've got the hosting costs coming up and all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, you don't need a sub story. Look, if you want to donate, donate. If you can donate, do donate. If you can't donate because of whatever reason, you've spent too much money on the fringe yourself or whatever, don't. Because honestly, I don't want anyone else going into debt for this project than me. But if you can, please do. Uh, But for now, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sharing. And thank you very much for coming to see me at the Edinburgh Festival if you do. I will see you all in about 15 days time. Bye.